the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Ab number 229 for Monday, December 7th, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Ab. As my friend John Braun there said, uh, it's Monday, and so we're here. That's kind of how we roll. I'm Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire. You, John Braun, that's Fairfield, right. or John F. Braun, if you prefer, <laughs> or I prefer, not always. Um, in Fairfield, Connecticut. And, so you got? Uh, did you get snow uh, this past weekend, John? We were going to talk about the winter wonderland. Um, not really. I, I would call it. Um, so I'm. Close to the coast here, which uh, several times gets blessed with less absolutely hazardous <laughs> or severe weather than the uh, than the you know uh, central Connecticut sure or states like you. So, anyways, no, it, I, it was pretty much coast. it was Saturday was slushing okay. is what I'll call it. But it gets cooler as it works its way up to, to definitely at least from my saw on the maps. Definitely. So, anyways, it was slushing, and it was a good thing that it slushed because. You know, we like a, a lot of communities. We have leaf, uh, you know, leaf uh, pickup. Right. If you put them in, and and you know, I've, I've been thinking about doing it and really seriously considering doing it, and re- really, you know, getting down to the wire. And I did because <laughs> after that night where it did that, the next day it, it was a bit chilly out. But you know, I have a small yard, so sure. uh, that was leaf rake and leaf bag in the paper bags day. And uh, I'm feeling it a little bit now. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm still old school. I, I use a rake and, you know, manually bag it. It's, it's exercise. Come on. It's good know. exercise. Well, what's with this leaf blower stuff? And yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It's actually great exercise doing that. So, uh, but you had, I, I saw <laughs> you had a uh, improvised <laughs> gate to, uh, I, I, I had a gig comment on that, that, I, that photo. Yeah. I had a gig Saturday night with a band called chafed and I'm actually playing in Manchester, New Hampshire next Saturday. Chafed? Night, the 12th chafed. That's right. Okay. Uh, they're they're a good cover band. They're you know uh, kind of sixties, seventies, and then lots of kind of eighties and nineties stuff. But they're good, and uh, and and so I played with them Saturday night. And uh, on my way home, it, it was snowing. You know, it snowed all night, and uh, we had maybe it wasn't a lot of snow, but it was real slushy and and but sort the same of thing. It was like, and like heavy. Was it like wet? It wasn't like, you know, fluffy snow. No. It was like kind of wintry mix kind of right. nastiness. And yeah. it stuck okay. to everything. And so, you know, all the trees were really kind of laden down with this stuff. And, and as I got home, I pulled into my driveway. And as, as one of my Twitter followers who saw the picture said, ah, I had a new gated driveway because I had this tree down. It now it hadn't it hadn't broken. It was, you know, it just needed to. Uh, so I had it was a manual operation tree gate. So I had to get out and shake the tree until the, the snow fell off of it enough. And it stood mm. itself back up. And I. Drove on in. So. All right. But uh, speaking of winter wonderlands, we have a winter wonderland of geeky stuff, tips and questions. So let's get right. uh, let's get right into it, shall we, John? And we'll go to Steve first. Steve in the cool stuff found category says, following on from the add on option key for goodies conversation, I came across this the other day, although it's not really related. Excellent. When you have tabs enabled in Safari, and have multiple tabs open in a window. If you click and drag on one of the tabs, it pulls it from the tab bar and makes a mini version at the mouse pointer. If you then drag it over another Safari window, it will change the icon at the mouse pointer to a tab and you can drop it here or you can drop it anywhere else outside of Safari and it creates a new window. 
not earth shattering, but it's there. And, and thank you very much, Steve. Yeah, this is cool. This is something I use quite a bit. You can rearrange the tabs in, really? in one tab okay. window doing the same thing. Yeah, you, you kind of pull the tab out. And just like Steve says, it, it pops up its own kind of in its own little right at the mouse point. It's like a mini version of the window, just like he described. And uh, and if you don't drop it in a window, it creates its own window. And like like you said, if you drop it in a window, even the existing one, you can put it in the tab bar and it'll it'll add a tab. Right. So kind of freaked me out, man. Yeah, it's cool, though. When it's I cool. did it, though, because uh, I'm normally a, you know, uh, open tab, close tab window type of guy. I don't Got really it. mess with the menu bar. So I, I was kind of shocked when I saw this little mini version, but it was very you know elegant because it kind of gave you a feeling of, of what's happening and the dragging it outside, opening a new window. I guess that's, that's expected. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it, it does just what you'd think it would. Yep. So cool. Thanks Steve. Uh, shall we move on to Alex? This was a, this was something Indeed. I did not know existed, which is what I, well, this love. was part of a, yeah, you reverb me brother. Uh, you are reverbed up. This is part of the geek challenge. Of course it is. <laughs> and an answer and an excellent answer and actually alex answered another question uh the the, the one we have about snmp in the future i believe he, he chimed in on that but anyways with uh go on to alex okay uh so alex says in order to see what frequency voltage and temperature your cpu is running at i use a piece of software called coolbook at coolbook.se if you just want to see the clock speed and don't want to change it you can use this software for free however if you register for the fair price of $10, you can set the clock speed and voltage of your CPU. I highly recommend doing this under volting procedure. I've had as much or more success than the example that's provided on the website. Undervolting is a process that's very simple to use and makes a huge difference in my computing experience. I think it'd be great if you discussed this on the show. And of course, we are. So thank you, Alex. Uh, so the and John, I know you've installed this, but I'll I'll. I'll speak to what this purports to do and you can kind of tell us what you saw. But the idea is by undervolting it and they are, there are some examples on the website and I think some, some guidelines to use. You can actually keep your processor running at the same speed, but uh, run it cooler, which of course reduces fan noise. It reduces uh, power consumption, consumption, which extends battery life. And of course, because mm. you're not running it as hot, uh, it reduces heat. Now, there's probably some questions as to, well, why wouldn't Apple do this? And, and so, oh. you know, I, <laughs> right. So uh, go, go ahead, John. You, you've, you've installed this so far, right? I've installed it and I've looked at what it says. So one thing that it says, and this is a, a, a feature that you have in a lot of modern processors, even though, for example, my MacBook Pro has a 2.6 gigahertz dual core. It, uh, Intel was wise, at least in the... Uh, I, I, I think this feature may be in the desktops, but not to that extent. Because the thing is, with a portable, uh, your your clear goal is to consume as little power as possible sure. without inconveniencing the user. So what what the processor will do is, if uh, whatever triggers cause this, it'll not run at the full speed. Now, I'm looking right now. I'm seeing running a Kulba controller. I see 2600, but then I see it going to 14. 2000, 1200, 14. And I think what, what happens is the processor is constantly doing this uh, of its own accord or maybe with a little direction from the OS. Now, uh, so that being said, so this tool absolutely shows, as far as I can tell, because every processor has a way, obviously, you know, if you're a real low level geek to, to read 
these fundamental things and I think these guys have cracked, you know, the whatever developer API Intel offers to do that. Now, my only concern is that monkeying with these values um, without knowledge of the OS may lead to some unexpected behavior. It would stand to reason. uh, Let's let's capitalize maybe capital M-A-Y. May. That's right. Yeah. Now, uh, of course, Alex has reported no problems and, and the authors of the software has have reported no problems. Uh, but but uh, sure looks interesting. I, I, you know, proceed with caution. Uh, proceed under warranty uh, is, you know, another one of those things. I, you would know, do. I guess and, the only thing I would say is things that are and, and maybe so I'll speculate that things that are timing dependent may get upset if if this is happening and the processor is not doing what they expect. So maybe music stuff or anything where you're communicating with another device. It's hard to say. It just, I mean, uh, on the one hand, you're not changing the bus speed though, right? You're only changing the the processor. Yeah. So, well, the voltage to the processor, and I guess, you know, maybe it's transparent. Maybe if you change the voltage, it advertises, you know, to anybody that cares, a lower speed. Uh, It just, uh, because it's kind of circumventing, you know, the OS in, in a sense, I'm, I'm, yeah, so, so I have no. Uh, I, it's just a gut feel that some apps may get upset about this. But no reports are. Well, I haven't run it a lot, so I'll. Uh, All right. Well, I haven't run it in the modification mode, so uh, okay. You know, okay, we'll give it a whirl. Yeah, yeah, we'll check it out. All right, cool. Thanks, Alex. Uh, on to Dennis. Dennis says, "I'm six months six months new to the Mac, and oh, you guys, many thanks. I've learned a lot from your show." Uh, uh, let's see. It's funny. Uh, I got to find where we are here. During show 225, someone asked about screen sharing with his laptop lid closed. I have used an application called Insomnia X, which does exactly what he is looking for. I sure hope this helps him out. Here's the link. And ensure it, sure enough, it's at. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. I'm not going to bother to spell that out. But uh, but Insomnia X does exactly what we had. We had a listener who wanted to run. Uh, MacBook closed without it connected to an external monitor, uh, but wanted to be able to have the machine stay awake. And in fact, mm-hmm. that's what Insomnia X does. So uh, go ahead and check it out. We'll put a link in the in the show notes and it should be right here in the enhanced version for you. Mm-hmm. Anything to, to add about that, John? Or no, I, I could start freaking out again that you're circumventing uh, <laughs> this feature. But if it works to you, I mean, your machine may run hotter and, and stuff like that. But uh, I've but talked I, to I, a lot of people because I agree with you, John. I, you know, the, it stands to reason that the machine's going to run too hot. But I, and I've talked to people that run in this mode a lot. And every one of them has said, yeah, my guess is it runs hotter, but I've never had a problem. It's never you know shut down. It's never overheated. Uh, it, I think it's, I think the machine really is built to run in closed lid mode with a monitor attached is the assumption because why else would you want to do it? But as, as we've, as we've answered there, there are reasons uh, to want to do it, especially if you're running it as a server. Yeah, or, or I think you the only thing I would su- suggest, and I think both you and I do this is, um, I have a laptop, uh, elevator, if you will, or, yeah. or, uh, device Something. that. That, yeah, as as I think you're thinking and I'm thinking, uh, allows the machine to be elevated so that you have airflow all around the machine. Right. Uh, I would say what a lot of people probably do is put their laptop on, hopefully not a 
nice insulator, like a blanket or a bed or something like that or a, whatever. I mean, a, a, a wooden table is probably better, but anything where there's not a clear path for it to dissipate heat underneath it may not be the best place if you're going to be running it in one of these modes where it's going to be, I, I think, expecting or hope hoping for a way to get rid of all that heat. Right. Um, so, it, it, yeah, we, we we can talk afterwards, Dave, but I have a stand that I use. I don't have it in front of me. I, I, I forget the exact model, and I think you have one, too. Yeah. So I think a- we'd agree that you want to, you want to, if you're going to run your portable, you know, heavy duty, you probably want to raise it up. I agree. Yeah. Get, get airflow all the way around it. Just like you said. Yep. Our first sponsor for this show is smile on my Mac. They are available on the web at smile on my Mac.com. And we're talking about disc label. They have a bunch of different software that they uh, produce there at smile on my Mac disc label is a program that lets you create print and even share uh, CD labels that you could put right on your CDs, jewel case inserts that you could put inside those CD jewel cases and DVD covers that fit into kind of the taller uh, DVD ca- style cases that, uh, that we all have come to know and love for the larger format stuff. Uh, you can print, you can, you can take your iTunes track information right from iTunes, pull it in to disc label and uh, print that with you can pull you know album art or you could make your own art they've got all sorts of templates uh if you've created uh an idvd say you've pulled all your photos in for christmas time right or whatever holiday it is you uh, you care to to send someone a uh, a gift maybe of you know a great gift for the grandparents right you've got all the pictures that you've taken all year long you sit down at your mac you pull them into you know you do your best ken burns stuff with the uh, with iDVD, you make this cool little thing. Now, you know, you've got great content on the DVD, but you want to have a label that looks good. So you go into disc label, you make the label for the DVD itself. You print that on your printer. You slap that on the label on the on the DVD. Then you want to create one of those DVD covers. Uh, so you go in, you maybe pull some pictures from my photo. You put them all together. You build a really nice label and you print it all using disc label from smile on my Mac. Of course, it's available for free for a trial. Uh, you can download it right from their website. And then when you're ready to buy it, it's thirty five ninety five. So again, this is from smileonmymac.com disc label version six. John, last week yes. we opened up a can of worms. Uh, and we're uh, going to close it. Well, I, I, we may close it. It'll probably open up again. You know how we are. <laughs> uh, our listeners like to keep us engaged on stuff like this. So uh, and engaged you were. We had a discussion last week about how to monitor how much bandwidth you're using. And we talk about a lot of geeky things on this show. And sometimes we go pretty geeky. You know, we peg the geek meter as it were. And sometimes we get no feedback about this geeky stuff. And we just sort of like, okay, well, that was fun to talk about, but we'll leave it alone and we'll kind of move on to something else. And I really thought this was going to be one of those topics, but it wasn't. Uh, Yeah. Well, I did because it's sort of like, well, who really cares about this? You know, but apparently the answer is lots of people. Uh, Mm. So, And I can see why. Right. Uh, For those of you who are thinking, gosh, who really cares about this? Uh, The people that care are anyone who has what is maybe either not an unlimited cable connection or a pseudo unlimited cable modem or DSL connection where your bandwidth really is limited in some way, shape or form. And you want to have some idea of uh, of the type and amount of bandwidth that you're 
you're pushing from month to month. So so that's really where the interest comes from. And and so we've opened up this can of worms and we talked about a couple of different ways, but really reached out uh, to you folks. And then also uh, John and I did some research this week, John more than me. And uh, and so, John, why don't you take it away with with some of the stuff you found and then we'll we'll go through some of the stuff our listeners found, too. Okay, and I'll give credit because uh, I believe Alex, who we mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. also gave me this tip. So one piece of software that I found but didn't think worked under Snow Leopard or Leopard, those are the two OSs I'm running, is something called Airport Monitor Utility at trulycertifiable.com slash products. You can find it. And when I typed in, so what what would happen, and I guess it's I'm a bit rusty on a SNMP, but at one point when I when it asked for the IP address of my uh, time capsule, which it is compatible with, it said password. I'm like, oh, you must want the password to use to administer the base station. I, I'm going I'm gonna in, I'm gonna interrupt you here, John, and I'm I'm sorry to do this. Well, but, you did, but go ahead. Yeah, uh, I I just want to make sure that the purpose of this software is to talk to your airport base station and get bandwidth statistics from it which will give you a better sense of how a more accurate sense of how much bandwidth you're pushing in and out of your entire network, as opposed to just yes. from your Mac. So w- with that, I, I will, uh, I will shut my mouth. And, and as we talk about these different software products, we will differentiate which ones talk about bandwidth from your Mac yep. versus bandwidth from your router, which in this okay. case is no. your airport router. So go ahead, John. Yeah. yeah. And that's a good clarification. Yeah. So this utility will attempt to talk to the airport using SNMP, and ask it certain questions about, you know, how much data have you sent over this and this and this? Um, the problem was, is when I, I tried this utility quickly before the last show, when it asked for a password, I, I mistook it asking for my airport password. No, what it was asking for, and this is one m- mini fist shake at, at how SNMP is implemented. SNMP is, is, is a way, a simple network management protocol is a way for a computer to talk to network devices and say, hey, you know, tell me this, or it can even instruct it, I believe, to do certain things. Um, the thing is, one core of this is they have a community name that devices belong to, and it's almost always set the public. By default. Yes, and, and that, that's probably good, but the thing is, when this utility started up, what it was asking for was not the password of the uh, my time capsule, but the password... Or it's not even a password. That's the problem I had when I saw this prompt. It's the community name, which for almost any device that you get out of the box will be set to public. Now, of course, you can set that. And oh, my goodness, I have it somewhere. I've, I've got it. It, it, it. You can set it on some airport devices. Now, where you go to turn on or, or turn off uh, SNMP yep. support is in the airport utility go to advanced uh, statistics. And then there's an SNMP section on older airport devices. All you get is a checkbox that says enable SNMP and you can turn that off. Of course, if you have a newer airport device uh, you, that allows the setting of the community name, it will tell you community name. And, and then right in there, it says public. And of course, you can change that and then update your base station to uh, to reflect that. Yep. So before when I tried to run this, it would say timeout. Sorry. You know, I. I don't know what device you're now the only key was i had to enter the ip address which for some is non-intuitive the ip address of the router is if you're on any host machine on the network uh in this case i set it to a 172 uh subnet okay um 
So that's the only, probably the hardest part of this is figuring out the IP address and getting the password or community name right. So in my, my case, I put 172.16.1.1, and then it ran beautifully. It shows a system list that has the name of the device, uh, uptime. Um, and then here, here's the part that applies to both this and something I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. Interfaces. Now, here's the part that gets kind of weird. This utility will talk to the device and say, hey, if you have an interface, which is a port, I would say, or a channel to communicate information, whether it be wired or wireless, um, and tell me you know, what it's been up to. Now, the problem is the name of these ports. Now, for example, I'm connecting to my time capsule. It's a couple of years old. There are six ports on here or interfaces in the interfaces tab. Bridge zero, VLAN one, GEC zero, LO zero. I'm going to assume that's loopback. WLAN zero. Ooh, that one sounds good. And MV zero. Now, I'm going to use my, my geek gut here, Dave, and maybe you'll concur with me, is that WLAN zero is probably the connection that's going out to the internet at large and the interface that if anybody reported the throughput of data on this, it would be that interface. So it's it's kind of an and we, you and I chatted earlier today. That's my newbie because I I haven't done a heck of a lot of work in this area. But but if you have a, a follow up, but I think WLAN zero will probably tell you the number that that you're looking for as far as total bandwidth consumed since reboot, yeah. I guess. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if, if it's not if the software is not logging anything, then the device will only remember what it's seen since the last reboot or last reset of of any type but I, I think you're right with the with the airport you with the airport devices that would i would presume that to be a reboot yeah okay and it says out octets you know they use the <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry newbies octet just remember oct means eight octet is probably a bite <laughs> yeah that's right yeah yeah i think so uh, anyway so so part one of that question is that's how you get that utility, which I, I questioned whether it was working properly or even worked under Snow Leopard, and uh, it does. So yeah. uh, it is a utility. It's a 30-day trial, but, but I think it gives you a very, very good summary. Now, on the one end, that, that's cool. <laughs> on the other end, I was searching, and Dave, I found something. Just love the open source community. Yeah. There is a little open source thing on SourceForge called SNMP Status. This is bare bones, folks, but it will. Now, the only thing that threw me is when I launched it, I'm like, did it run? I don't see anything happening. Mm -hmm. It puts itself in your menu bar. But basically what it shows you is a very little dialogue amongst the selections are interface and then units to represent throughput. So this tool, from what I can see, and I don't know if you tried it, Dave, but its purpose is pretty much to say, Here's the interface. Here, here's how much data I saw running across it. Y- you figure it out. Okay, so it's, it's kind of arcane, but it but it's a SourceForge thing. It's totally free. You know, it it's I think worth the money you pay for it, which is nothing. Right. And it, it will report these statistics similar. So Airport Monitor Utility is a very nice way of doing this. SNMP status is if you want to dig around in the dirt. <laughs> um, uh, you know, got it. So you get what you pay for, I think, in this case. Yeah. And, and there may be more. We're, uh, we're uh, moving on here. Yeah, there, there are more. Uh, I wanted to um, uh, quickly talk about 
how to find the address of your router. And, and the, the best way to do it for most of you uh, is going to be to go into system preferences, go to network, and then click on your main active network connection. So it's either going to be for most of you, either built in ethernet, if you're plugged in or built in airport or just it'll simply airport. Yeah, that's right. It'll have a green light and it'll be at the top of the list. And if you click on that, it should give you status connected. And then it'll give you a couple of addresses. And the one you're looking for is labeled router. That's the one that it's that your computer is talking to, to get out onto uh, the internet. All the traffic that it's going to send to and from the internet is going to go via that router device. So uh, mm. that that's the way to find the IP address. Then just, you know, write it down or just, or, you know, if you can get the two windows open, just type it in and, and, uh, yeah. and that should work. Uh, it should be. I've usually seen it at, you know, like I have set up 1.1 or yeah, it's, you know, usually a low, low address, sometimes the, high, I, I guess. It, it can depends. be, it could be anything. I, I have mine set to dot 10 here and I'm not going to go into why I, I will because okay. everybody's going to wonder <laughs> uh, because I had, um, when we were moving up here, I had a router at home and a router here, router at my old home and a router here. And, and I needed to set them up at simultaneously. And so it was like, well. It's going to be, it, it was a long story. It's convoluted, but it made sense okay. to, to assign but this one ten. They so, didn't fight. Yeah, so they didn't fight. Exactly. I had, mm. t- I had two things. I had an old Linux box that was dot one dot one and it was like, whatever. So, uh, yeah. so that's it, but it can be anything by default. It's going to be, you know, whatever your network range is dot one. Uh, if you're if you want to guess at it. All right. And then along these same lines, we got an email from Steve and Steve says, uh, regarding Mac Geek Up 228 podcast, take a look at NetMonitor. Uh, works fine on my MacBook Pro. I've been using it for a long time, mostly for a menu bar display of up and download, but it has a reporting utility that's very flexible. NetMonitor traffic log. Okay. Uh, I talked to the developer about this, or I emailed back and forth with uh, with him today. And NetMonitor is an interesting piece of software. It does It monitors only your Mac. It does not use SNMP to talk to other routers or anything like that. But huh. uh, so a machine needs each machine needs. Yes. Monitor. Yes. Okay. But what it can do is it can talk to uh, it, it can filter its reports and its results uh, using a, a thing called net monitor sidekick. And what that does is lets you say, Oh, only show me the stuff that's passing to passing via my router, right? So uh, don't tell me if I'm, you know, don't tell me about the bandwidth of me file sharing with, uh, with John's computer. If he's local to my network, only tell me about the stuff that's going, excuse me, to and from the internet. It's not perfect, uh, but it, it is something else to, uh, huh. to monkey with. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's another little toy is really but that addresses our issue before, which is how do you separate the traffic right. from, Right. Local versus to the net. So that, oh, that's excellent. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and then another Steve, at least I think it's another Steve, but it could be the same Steve uh, on Twitter alerted us to a piece of software called lithium. that's going to do exactly what we want. And then some, it does tons of stuff, uh, but uh, it's available at lithium five, the number five dot com. Uh, it's one hundred and twenty nine bucks. So it's clearly not in the realm of free and cheap. But uh, but it definitely gets the job done. And then some it's a full, you know, full featured SNMP monitoring network tool uh, that that will do all of this. So and I look uh, 
so they have a Mac client, iPhone, web yeah. browser. Yeah. So this is so this sounds like a. I mean, to me, that price, it's, it's, it's not for the newbie. No, but it's not a bad, considering but what they're doing. But for a person who is managing maybe a small household or educational yeah. or whatever network, especially, you know, if, if you're concerned, yeah. you know, a household network um, with, you know, different people to, or whatever type of network, I think it's, it's good that it, you know, gets, lets you get it down to that level. Yeah. But I'd like the iPhone client. It looks really nice. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to check it out. I um I, I'm you know, I'm going to Austin tomorrow so I didn't want to download it and start my trial or anything, but uh but I've got it on my list of things to to mess with cuz I yeah. think it'll be a cool thing. Yeah. And I'm thinking too is, you know, your kids are uh, you were pointing out they're they're getting to that age. So, uh, you, know, you got you got to put the hammer down. That's right. That's right. You got to look at what they're doing. You got to spy on <laughs> I, I need to spy on my children. That's right. Yeah, parent yeah. parenting isn't enough here, folks. We need to uh need to spy on our children. <laughs> All right. Oh, before that. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. So last well, week we, we had a little thing due to uh, so we had uh, if you recall, folks, I I think I ranted a little bit about why is Comcast be, and and actually a follow. So Comcast um after our rant announced, isn't this awesome that they're rolling out a bandwidth uh, metering service? That's right. They, and they it, said it was, it was almost instant. It was no, no, no. I think it was after you and I had this discussion, Dave. Well, they they had they said it was coming this. months ago, uh, but but they didn't indicate well, when. Well, we fueled them on that. That's right. And and so now they've now they've announced that January fifth is when every Comcast customer will be able to log into their support account and see the bandwidth that they've used for at least the previous two months and the bandwidth mm-hmm. that they're using or they've used thus far in right. the current month. It's, it's almost real time. It's three hours delayed uh, is what they're saying, or right. at least up to, you know, three hours delayed. But a little follow up is I remember one of the emails that I read through uh, in, in prepping was um, Rogers. Apparently someone pointed out to us that Rogers. Uh, so, so I think the person mm. who was having the bandwidth issues right. said, I got Rogers. Um, one reader or listener, uh, yeah, Ben, Ben, Ben wrote it. <laughs> said Rogers does apparently if you register with them, and you don't have to. I don't think uh, any of these guys. I I do online billing with you know sure uh, uh, with your cable, cable company, and right. you probably do too. I do, and they show me a lot of things. I don't think uh, I, I actually I haven't looked, but so the suggestion to me was Rogers if you register online either for bill pay or whatever, you can see some indication of your bandwidth. So, uh, you know, it seems like the, the providers pretty much have to do this if they're going to nail you, if you go over it. So, yep. 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 It's good. So, uh, so January 5th, you've got less than a month before, uh, before you'll be able to, uh, to see what, at least what Comcast does. I personally, I'm looking forward to that because I'm already tracking my bandwidth usage yeah. uh, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it matches up because mm-hmm. that, that's going to be very interesting to me. Yeah. So until then, I, I would say, you know, hop on the uh, local neighborhood unsecured uh, Linksys space station. <laughs> that's right. Hey, if, hey, if I they're found putting one. it out there. Yep, that's right. Well, Dave, you and I, well, we both got, and actually I'm, I'm pretty impressed. We'll, we'll have a follow-up, but, uh, you know, both you and I got the, the newer Wi-Fi units. And uh, mm-hmm. I got to say, I'm very impressed with the new software Much and better. the unit itself. And yes, there is at least one, un- though I'm, I got to say, I'm shocked, uh, probably in a casual inspection on the lower floor of my house, I saw about 12 to 15 base stations. Only one was unsecured and called Linksys. Everybody else had at least some sort of security applied. Yeah, it, it's so I think um, the word is getting out. Well, and also 
the software that comes with these base stations now is walking people through the process of securing them as part of the setup, which is good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, You know, there's times when I don't think it's good, like when I'm, you know, need to get online. But we're going to, yeah, we're going to dig into this because I think it's uh, it's something you and I have looked at before. And I think we got to, you know, they've definitely improved their uh, hardware and software. So uh, yeah, stay tuned. Uh, Our second sponsor for the show is Circus Ponies. You've heard us, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about them before, and we're going to talk about them again. Uh, Circus Ponies makes a product called Notebook. Notebook version 3.0 is what they're up to. Uh, Notebook is an interesting application. It allows you to take a series of unrelated files or even just snippets of information relating to a topic, and it's a topic or a collection of your choosing, and then... You can pull them all together. Now, when you start the software, it's a little bit daunting because you just see a blank, uh, you know, white or yellow line notebook uh, where you've got, you know, the little lines and you can start typing there and certainly type and you can tab in and get a hierarchical kind of thing going on. And but the cool part, the real strength is when you start pulling in other bits of data like PDFs or emails or, you know, Word documents or whatever and associating them all together with this one uh, collection or one notebook, as it were. And then you can search once you've built this thing and you've added to it over time, uh, you can search the notebook. And the cool thing is you can search based on what you remember about the data. So if you say, oh, yeah, I know I, I put that in here last Tuesday. Show me everything that came in last Tuesday and boom, it'll come right up with that. Or, you know, I, I use this keyword. So show me everything with this keyword. And the cool thing is, if you've got multiple notebooks, you can actually use what they call Multidex, which is their search engine that goes across all of your notebooks at once. You can say, show me everything that I did last Tuesday, and it'll it'll go through and show you that. Uh, this is available at CircusPonies.com. Notebook version 3.0. It is, of course, available free download. Uh, you get a free trial. And then a standard license is just 50 bucks. Well, even less, forty nine ninety five. And uh, when you're ready to buy, you just go to circusponies.com and you can buy it there. But but I highly recommend going and downloading the free trial uh, first. Get get it get it into your workflow. Use some of their pre-built templates so it's not so daunting. They've got some example templates that uh, that you can modify and use, and that's a much better way of of getting kind of getting your feet wet with it. And uh, and all that's available at circusponies.com. And now, John, it's time to move on to the questions. Michael asks, I love the show. I have a lot to learn from others' questions. And I'm glad to hear that. John and I are both very glad to hear that. But I have my own. Is there a way to sort my book? I'll start this again. And maybe this book. time I'll talk. No, you can, you can say bookmark. Yeah, that's what it is. But I just, my, 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 my mouth wasn't going in the right direction. <laughs> is there a way to sort my bookmarks in Safari without having to drag them up or down? I would like them to be alphabetical order within each tab. I know I could do this in IE under Windows XP. Thanks for any insight. Uh, okay, so the answer is no, but no, but, not within Safari, but <laughs> The answer within Safari is no. Will you will you agree with me? Uh, I'll agree with you with a but at the end uh, because I, there's a, well, there's there's <laughs> two ways to do this that I've found, and actually there's more than two ways. But because we'll, I found we'll it annoying because I've used IE and others, yeah. and, and to me that's such a simple 
feature. I thought right click. I'm like, where is it? Where? Yeah. So I, w- I was rather upset by this question. Go on. So there's two ways to do it. One, I found an article at Mac OS 10 hints that talks about this, which is actually pretty cool. Uh, you drag your bookmark folder. You so you take, you know, any one of the tab, the, the tabs are all different folders, right? You, you go into your edit bookmarks mode, you drag the folder out to the finder and the finder will automatically sort all the bookmarks in the folder. And then you drag them back in and bam, they're all sorted. So that, that's one way to do it. It doesn't automatically keep them sorted and it's not all that elegant, uh, but it has, you know, it's its own little simple elegance in that you don't need any third party software. However, mentioning third party software brings in the elegant solution with a piece of software called Saft. S A F is in Foxtrot T and what that will do is exactly what you're looking for. John, it will allow you to do sorting from inside Safari uh, right there when you're editing your bookmarks. So, so this is the, this is, that's why it's a no, but oh, so there you go. So maybe that's a Safari plugin or internet plugin that we've been kind of kicking around. It's a Safari add on, I, I, or add on, which is different than a plugin. Um, I, I believe it's, yeah, it's not a, it's not a we'll, browser. We'll, we'll plugin. dig into that. Yeah. It's not a browser plugin, but it's a, uh, so. But to me, that's kind of a glaring omission. Now I, 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 I appreciate the cleverness of dragging the folder out and resorting and bringing it back, but yeah, oh, that's not the right way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's right. Exactly. Yeah. So the saft is the thing I would, I would go on and recommend. So, yep. Dare we, uh, can we talk more about this so that we don't have to open the can of worms that is David's question? Or is it time to open the can of worms that is David's question? I don't like that. No, that can, <laughs> we got to keep that can closed. No, we're gonna, we've, we've talked about it. Okay. No, no. Yep. David, no. David says, well, he's down in New Zealand. It's okay. You know. Oh, all right. All right, good. Uh, <laughs> hi, I was hoping you could help with Wi-Fi speed issues on my iPhone. Oh, no, sorry, we can't. Uh, Anyway, uh, at home, I use a two terabyte time capsule, which gives me great speed with my MacBooks at home. However, for some reason, my first gen iPhone can only get about 300 kilobits per second download and 600 upload. I also have an Airport Express N series and an old Airport Extreme G series that I've been using up until I get the time the time capsule up until I got the time capsule. I've tried them all with the same results. The only difference I can make is if I configure the airport to be G only, which gives me about 500 upload and download unchanged. Uh, 500 download and the upload remains unchanged. The airports get their connection via a D-Link ADSL2 modem. It's not my iPhone because at work and on other networks, I get 3000 kilobits per second. You should get even more. I've searched the net and found loads of people with the same problem, but none of the suggestions have made a difference. Okay, so... I have seen this issue here, John, um, hmm. at, okay. at, at my house. Now, the interesting thing is I have an older time. I have the first generation time capsule, which only has the one radio in it. So I actually have the time capsule using five gigahertz only uh, here huh. at my house. Right. Um, I do have an older snow airport base station. And occasionally I'll get this weird thing where my iPhone and my TiVo uh, don't want to uh don't want to talk all that fast and i have to reset my uh my airport base station then it then it comes back around and i've always sort of written it off as well you know it's 
house and, you know, interference and blah, microwave oven and blah, blah, blah. And that's just life, you know, and it doesn't happen all that often. So it doesn't drive me crazy. Uh, but it sounds like for David, it's happening all the time. So, uh, you know, th- there's th- these, th- you know, he says he's uh, he's changed the channel, I think. Right. Or am I confusing that? No, maybe he hasn't changed the channel. Um, but but that would be that would be one thing to try. Um, but but I'm guessing he's already tried that, but maybe not. Uh, no, I, I I know we saw another question. Yeah, there was another question. Channel. Yeah, I think it's a, I think what you're you're leaning towards is that it's in environmental. I think so. You know, it's so what I would do actually is I would I would get that air radar software that that we've talked about. That's kind of the the eye stumbler replacement, and you fire that up on your Mac. And and that will list all of the networks uh, that are available uh, that it can see and and look for the ones that are in that channel one to 11 range, which is the G or B range. And and actually, I forget if New Zealand goes up to 14, it might go up to 14 down there here in, in the States we're one to 11. But I think it, it's possible you go up to 14. So so take a look and see if you've got other stuff in that range. If you do. Make it so that, you know, if you've got a lot of stuff between one and six, set yours up to 11. Conversely, if, uh, you know, if everything else is up there, set it down. If there's stuff all over the place, find the connection with the weakest signal and set your, you know, set your network in that range. So you can in turn traumatize them. Well, hopefully your <laughs> signal is just as weak to them as theirs is to you, yeah. right? I mean, that that would be the presumption. No, but it definitely sounds the more I think about it is, you know, just... If it, it sounds like he's, uh, I, yeah, he's not in the sticks. He's near other people with other devices. In which case, yeah, you're you're playing this game constantly. Yeah, well, unless you've got a 2.4 gigahertz cordless phone, uh, which could get in the way of this. So that's well, you know, that's kind of 2.4, and I think even five. I mean, the thing is, yeah, they pick these ranges for a reason. They're meant for you know consumer, right, uh, and maybe business and other uses. But yeah, two two four is kind of the dumping ground for a lot of things, including, yeah, I mean, microwave ovens are the <laughs> the one worst thing. I mean, they really mess things up. But, but you know, yeah, as you pointed out, Dave, cordless phones and, you know, other probably handheld radios and stuff like that. So, yeah, you need, I think, uh, the, the, the conclusion is you need a tool that can adequately profile what radios are around you and, and what frequency and what strength. And then you just do, you know, a little you know, back of the napkin thing and figure out where, where should I be? That is the least right. Is, is not the worst place to be. That's right. That's right. And if you're doing stuff on the back, back of the neck napkin, it all has to be in orders of magnitude. I think that's a, that's a, a an unwritten rule. Correct, John? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? I don't know. Just say, you know, back of the napkin. It's always good for orders of magnitude. All right. Uh, well, if you're, yeah. Yeah. I'm just if you're, throwing it around. Yeah. Go. Moving on to Brad. Brad writes, the name is Larkin, Brad Larkin, and I have a question about formatting USB drives. I recently bought a one terabyte iOmega desktop USB drive, and when trying to format it, I got an error saying that disk utility had failed. The drive came up, the drive came as a PC FAT32 drive, but iOmega claims it will work on Macs. Every time I try to format, disk utility fails. The solution I found on the Internet was that Disk Utility has trouble with USB drives being formatted formatted with the option Master Boot Record selected. 
Once you change that to GUID, all is well with the world and everything formats just fine. Just wondering why this is. I put in a call to I put a call into a friend at Apple to see what he said, but I haven't heard back as of yet. All right. Uh, OK, so I have seen this before. and I think we've even talked about this on the show before, John. It's an issue with master boot record, I believe, disk utility and partitions larger than 500 gigabytes. Uh, I don't believe that if you have the drive set up using the MBR partition scheme that you can format larger than 500 gigabytes with a uh, with an HFS plus uh, partition type. So uh, so the, the trick is you change the partition scheme of the drive to GUID and then you can make uh, an HFS plus partition of your full one terabyte and go. My guess is this drive came formatted with two 500 gigabyte or thereabouts uh, partitions uh, of fat 32. And, and that's why your Mac was okay with it. But as soon as you tried to combine them into one partition of a different type, it, it, it failed on you. That that's what I've seen with, with other, with other drives. So, uh, but, but this brings up a good question and John, I, I know you, you're, you're raring to go on this. So, so uh, the, the, the question is, well, we're talking, you know, fat 32 and HFS plus, And at the same time, we're talking master boot record and, you know, GUID and Apple partition map. And where, what the heck's going on? Um, I'm very confused and scared by what you said. So I'm going to take a nap and, and be back. Good. Excellent. <laughs> that's when that's you click on it. When you, <laughs> when you, when you click, hello, I was giving you napping music. All right. So when you call, when you select a drive, there's a partition tab. There is also in disk uh, utility. This is in disk utility. Thank when you. you click on a drive, not the partition under the drive, but the drive itself, there's a partition tab. If you click on the drive itself and you want to partition it, there is then an option screen. That is the partition type. And I think part of the confusion here is that you can create mixtures or partition types and format types. So let's be very clear. At the highest level, a drive has to have a partition type. And as we've talked about, there are three main ones that, that uh, at least uh, Apple's this utility. I'm gonna, I got to, I got to, I got to whoop, Go. whoop, whoop. We can't. You know, I think the terminology that we, that we, to stick with Apple's terminology on this, there are, part, there is a partition scheme. Okay. There is a partition type, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, and then and then there's a format to the drive, and I guess partition type and format are the same thing. Well, I know I'm looking Apple- here, and I see the button, the options button. When you float over it, it says partition map scheme. Scheme. Okay. Okay. So the the, the scheme is the very top level thing. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. So what I can see here. Yeah. That, so when you right. when you select that and you click on the options button, yep. there are three choices as we as we've talked about. There's the MBR, which is most most common on Windows machines, right? Uh, master boot record. There's GUID, which is pretty much Intel Mac, and then there is oh, what is the third type? Apple Partition Map. There we go. And I, I even made a note about that. So those are the three types that at least disutility. Now, of course, there's many more, but we're not going to talk about that. Sure, that's a whole. 
show in itself. Then the other, uh, so just to be clear, when we say MBR, GUID, or Apple Partition Map, which we really don't because that I think is pretty exclusive to the older PowerPC Macs, right? That's right. Dave? Yeah, which I and I so they, they work. Those, so yeah. So I I wouldn't format a new drive with Apple Partition Map, but if you have an older one, it should be readable. But then the format type. So this is the other tab that you see when you click on a drive. Usually not the top level drive, but the uh, you know. Well, actually no. I'm sorry. If you click on uh, you know the top level drive, you say erase. Then you have the volume format, and this is a little different. This is where you can either select macOS extended journaled, which I would say for the most part for most Mac users, that's, that's what one. you want to pick. But there are some others. Like, for example, I'm looking here and I see MS-DOS FAT. And on this machine, I don't have it installed. But I think if you have it installed, um, there's something called NTFS 3G that will actually let you on a Mac, yes, on a Mac, format NTFS drives as a volume format. Now, in that case, I think MBR, it being pretty much... Yeah. NTFS being a Windows format, MBR would probably be the partition mapping scheme or type. So just yeah. wanted to dig into that because it can get confusing because you can create combination of combinations of those that result in, in tragedy. Yeah, the one the one thing I'll and we have talked about this before, uh, but the, the one thing that I remember learning the last time we we kind of walked down this path was that Apple partition map is not exclusive to the older PowerPC machines. In fact, hmm. uh, I, I believe what we learned last time was that Apple partition map drives will boot the newer Intel Macs. And that's how CDs and DVDs uh, that are built to boot either older and newer Macs, you know, Intel and non-Intel okay. Macs. Uh, so if you still run in a mixed environment, uh, Good setting up an Apple partition map is not, uh, is probably your best bet if you're going to want to boot from it. If you don't care to boot from it, then it doesn't matter, right? But but if you want to boot from it, then, you know, think about that ahead of time. That Because the thing is, just like changing the drive form, although you can change the drives, the form, the you can change the partition size, uh, assuming you have the room to do so, uh, non-destructively nowadays there is software out there actually some of it's built right into mac os 10 though it's not obvious uh, that will allow you to change the partition size without destroying your data however if you want to change the format type uh, as john explained mac os 10 extended fat ntfs or any of the above you have to destroy the data and going one up from that if you want to change the partition scheme MBR, GUID, Apple partition map, you have to destroy your partitions to do that. Or your, yeah, your partitions yeah. to do that. So, you know, choose wisely and, and carefully. So I, as John said, I think for most people that are running one Mac and it's a newer Mac GUID, that is the way to go. But if you do have a collection of Macs and some of them are older and you might want to use this drive to boot from them one, one day, Apple partition map might be your best bet. All right. And I've been through this recently because actually I got a uh, product which uh, I'll, I'll tell you about later. Okay. Uh, it's a it's an external drive that uses a new wireless technology, but oh cool. The documentation uh, I'll give you a hint, ultra wideband or wireless oh. USB. Oh cool! It's kind of cool, but they shipped the drive to me with NTFS, and they said uh, yeah. basically in the documentation they said, well, yeah, if you got a Mac, then reformat it, and I'm like, oh man, uh, 
Why are you doing this to me? Oh, I can't wait to hear more about this. That's that's a nice little teaser. That's good. Yeah, I thought I'd... Uh, I, I've been getting... You know, Dave, I don't know about you. I mean, it's the holidays and all, but I'm making <laughs> boxes pretty much every day. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Everybody, I mean, yeah. from from Mac Observer. I don't know what's what's in that box. And, uh, yeah. you know, it was a... You know, it's Mac Observer Claws. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, all right. Moving on. Moving on. on. Yeah, we can move on. Uh, we'll go on to Greg, because Greg has... Uh, uh, this is a good one. It's easy and hard. Yeah, that's right. Hey, John, Dave, and Pete. Uh, I have a question. Uh, I recently upgraded to Leopard, and the top menu is kind of like on, on the screen, is like semi-transparent now. And is there any way to get that to white? Because it kind of shows through to the blue background, and it's kind of like this ugly gray. Is there any way to get it white? I mean, I didn't really want to tangle around in the terminal or anything, but if there's some easy way to do that, or, or it's just kind of like maybe something that, you know, um, MC Hammer don't touch, or <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Can't touch this. Okay. Okay, thanks. Sound, sound effects and everything. So that's, uh, that's fantastic. All wow. right. Uh, you want to, there's two, there's two ways to do this depending on your operating system. He asked about leopard. So we will, we will answer that first and then we'll talk about how to do it in snow leopard, uh, because that has changed. I'm, you, I'm guessing Greg is a student. All right. Perhaps not. Yeah. Maybe he's just lives in a hopping area, but anyways, yeah. snow leopard, this is easy. And you know, and we I said say, we were going to do leopard first though, cause that's what Greg asked. What? And, and plus uh, that's what I just said. So, you know, I figure we'll follow the path, right? I'm reading. So I know you're you reading. You're not listening, me. though. Uh, uh, All right. So. so so the problem is that it turned up in Leopard, and I noticed this, and you noticed this, Dave. And sure. I found it freaking annoying. I'm sorry. It's like you're, you're disturbing my, you know, solid menu bar path there. So I guess. Uh, yeah. He, Greg you know, feels the same way. Yeah, so I guess uh, you found uh, OS Ten Hints has a nice little ditty on this. They do, and we'll link to that. And it does, uh, unfortunately for Greg, involve some terminal trickery, and it's really not that. Uh, mm. it, it's not all that straightforward. I mean, it, I think it's one command, but it's a very long and convoluted command. The good news is there's also a piece of software called Menu Bar Tint from ManyTricks.com, and there'll be a link in the show notes for that. Uh, that allows you to muck with this and actually you can get your shading back and all that. The terminal trick just turns it white again, which is different from what you were used mm-hmm. to in tiger. And, uh, and, and so this, this menu bar tint thing will actually turn it back to what you, what you think you want or what you want versus what you think you want. Uh, and, and so that, that's definitely the way I'd, I'd recommend going. So that's, that's leopard. Not uh, it's not able, you're not able to do it. Simply and elegantly with Apple software, uh, though it is possible to do it with just the base OS, uh, but but you can do it with third party software. So that's that's answer A. And then, John, answer B. Well, first off, it's bogus. They didn't allow the user to set that. <laughs> I agree. I, I, along with everybody else, I noticed in the huh. view menu, especially you look at this, you look at the screenshot. There's a little blotch in the view menu. And it's like, what is that? I think I was not the only one that as soon as I, you know, install this OS, I'm like, what's this garbage on the top of the menu bar? What, what are you doing to me? And somebody thought it'd be cool to make it translucent, but I, I'm sorry, you know, get off my lawn. I mean, <laughs> I want my menu bar the way it should be. But the good news is in snow leopard, it's easy. You go to system preferences, personal 
in the personal category, desktop and screensaver, desktop tab, and there's a checkbox, translucent menu bar. So once you upgrade to Snow Leopard, you can just go in there and shut it off or turn it on if you're into that sort of pain. And uh, there you go. There you go. Yep. All right. Uh, one more. Should we do? Uh, let's, let's do Lewis. I like that. I like. And we'll say we'll save Mike for next time. Yeah, because that's going to be a long and convoluted conversation with Mike. No. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll do Mike. Fine. Fine, we're doing Mike. Here whoa, we go. Whoa, whoa, Mike, whoa, whoa. Mike says, wanting to buy an iPod Touch for my girls for Christmas. This is timely. We should. You're right. Uh, I have an iMac iLamp model without USB 2.0. Do I have to have one as the spec state? Uh, we are currently using iPod Nanos and Shuffles without any problems, except the warning message about not having a USB 2.0 connection. Uh, thanks, for the, thanks for the advice. Love the show. All right. Well, the first thing uh, that... Uh, we did here, John, was you, you checked Apple's spec site and that made it, made it that was pretty clear, right? Uh, pretty much. There's an article titled iPod Touch not recognized in iTunes for Mac OS X. And one of the reasons the heading is check USB connections. And it says iPod Touch requires, not in caps, even though I'm emphasizing it, it. USB 2.0 to function properly. If you are not sure if your Mac has USB 2, which in this case we're sure it doesn't, refer to the Apple tech specs, try connecting iPod Touch to a different port, blah, 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 blah. So Apple's tech support article in this clearly states iPod Touch requires USB 2.0 to function properly, whatever that means. That's right. So that's one side of the coin, Dave. But then I think you found the other side of the coin. Yeah, I found a... a, a forum thread actually i found a couple of forum threads about this somewhere at discussions at apple.com and and then there was one that was a little clearer that was at uh macrumors.com forums.macrumors.com that made it pretty clear there were there were people talking about this and they said look yeah it works but there's some caveats number one it's slow because it's usb 1.1 versus usb 2.0 so you're which not is to, to to geek out usb 1 is 12 megabits per second maximum usb 2 is 480 so you're talking big big difference and yeah. yes it is i think as you and i can both state dave if we've you know as as we weaned ourselves from our old machines it's a big big difference oh yeah so so, so i think i can understand the reasoning behind apple's decision but but moving on so so it's it's drastic I would say, you know, or, uh, more I will dare than say, an order. Dave, orders of magnitude. That's right. More. You're yeah. right. Because yeah. 11 to an order of magnitude is 110. This is four times. An, so anyway, yeah, that's it's, right. it's, it's a big deal. The, yeah. the difference in speed. And, and actually, USB three is coming out. And from what I hear, USB three, um, you're talking in the gigabit like five gigabit range, yeah. if I recall some of the specs. That that's I've right. Seen. So yeah. you're talking again, another, not quite, uh, well, no, but gigabits over a cable. I mean, that, that, that's good. Yeah, it's great. Not megabits, gigabits. So, yep. so that's cool for USB three, which, you know, I consider more, you know, pretty much a, you know, kind of consumer electronic thing. That's an awesome. And I think they're, they're thinking of pumping video or real time or whatever. Oh, so interesting. Um, huh? So you found stuff well, hinting that yeah, you could do this? It, it's going to work. But here's the thing. It, you know, they, they say uh, it, it, if it's fully charged, it will, it will sync. But 
don't try to sync more than, you know, 10 or 15 songs at a time uh, <laughs> because it's going to be really slow. And, and there are some issues where there's a timing thing and, and the OS or, or iTunes perhaps will occasionally time out thinking that the device has gone offline when really the device just hasn't gotten enough data to, to chime back and say, yep, I'm still here, you know, send me more. So it, 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 chances are it's going to work, but as you might expect, ah. uh, it's not going to be the pristine experience. So. I, I have a wild and wacky thought, Dave. Wacky it up. <laughs> Does that machine have a FireWire port? Yeah, yeah. The iLamp has a FireWire port, yes. I'm wondering if someone... Oh, I, I, like, I like the name, actually. You know where I'm going. <laughs> yeah, is there a FireWire Does, to USB bridge? Well, FireWire is... Even you know, basic is four hundred megabits, yeah. right? Yeah, I'm I'm going to speculate, though I don't know if it's out there. And you know, let us know. I, I don't need the echo here, but geek challenge: Does someone make a FireWire to USB adapter that could allow a pleasant experience for our our listener here? Yeah, that's the only hardware. Because I was thinking, well. You know, you could well. You know, you could plug a USB two hub into the machine, but duh, that's not going to accomplish anything. So, so I'm thinking, can you get a USB two port in this machine? No, but there are other ports. So, so th this is my thought. And actually, you know, I think I've seen some Ethernet to USB yeah. gizmos. So it, it 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 I would say to get a pleasant user experience. Um, we'll 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 dig around a bit, and we'll also count on our you know our our listeners listeners if you know of anything that would allow someone to enable an older machine to get a usb 2 port via another port we'd really like to know about it that would be cool actually yeah that would be very cool all right oh my gosh how do you contact us dave i mean you know people contact us all the time and but but there may be some others who are just you know waiting to shake their fist at us or or ask an important question. And you, you know, Dave, I, I think the place I would start is you know email is just always the best place to start. I think it is. It has it has taken over. Uh, we get more of our comments via email now than we get via the phone. Uh, really, e email is sent to feedback at macgeekgab.com. Uh, so that's uh, that that's the way to email. Now you can email text. You can email pictures. You can also email audio. In fact, uh, the audio comment that, that you heard during or the audio question that you heard during the show from Greg came in uh, via email. Yep. And he recorded it with the voice memo app on, on his iPhone and then just emailed it right to us right from there. So, And, and you know, I think, Dave, the iPod Touch, which I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm waiting. But I, I believe on your iPod Touch, you can also do an audio memo and send it to feedback at MacGeekApp.com. That's right. That's right. Okay. Want to make Feedback sure that. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Um, now you could call us and you could pick up the phone and dial. Let your oh, fingers do the walking, as it well, were. Well, no, actually, that doesn't happen anymore. No, it doesn't. It's... When's the last time you saw a princess phone? Uh, yeah. Do you know I, what a princess phone is? I do. You know what, of course yeah. I know what a princess phone is. Yeah, that's the old big weapon phone that Ma Bell used to give to you when you signed up for, yeah. uh, for phone service, right? And if you were a big deal, you had a red one. That's right. 206-666-GEEK is the phone number, and GEEK is 4335. You can Skype us to Mac Geek Gab. You can leave us iTunes comments, and uh, 
uh, I don't know when you're going to be listening to this show, but if you are and you happen to be in Austin tomorrow night, so this is less than 24 hours from the moment that I'm saying this, uh, I am going to be attending the CapMac meeting uh, there tomorrow night. It starts at 7 p.m. Central. Uh, it's at some bar. I don't have the name of it right in front mm. of me, but you can go to capmac.org and it'll tell you all about it. So I, I as long as my flights are on time and everything's good, then, uh, then I will. Yeah, well, you got upgraded. Come on. Man. I did. I got the email today saying that I got the upgrades. <laughs> so I was happy about that. That's right. And you're going to you're going to be with the Bob, right? Bob is Bob Levitis is presenting tomorrow night. So, yeah, that's great. I'm looking forward to that. So, Dr. Bob, um, yeah. you know, this Twitter thing, I think, is still. Yeah, it's out there. It's, it uh, works. It's a good, it's a good way to get in touch with us. Yeah. John is John F. Braun. Dave is Dave Hamilton. Pilot Pete is, and he's not here. He's actually uh, at, at school, we'll say. Uh, he is Pilot Pete, as it were. Mac Geek Gab is our uh, kind of show account, if you will. And, and then the flagship uh, site. Mac Observer. Uh, all at Twitter.com. iPhonealley.com is a great site. Host, uh, Whoa, we're chitter-chattering here, and the music ran out on me. They're, uh, they're a great site. They're getting chilly. Yeah, that's right. It's, they're a great site, publishing news and a great podcast all about the iPhone. So uh, run by Michael Johnston. Check it out. Great stuff. And then Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all the bandwidth for the show. The podcast marketplace of our sponsors this month includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, Disc Label from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and Bluebridge from Mikus, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And John, that's it. We're out of here. And I got to get on a plane uh, in uh, almost exactly 12 hours. Huh. That's all right. I'll live. Hmm. You're flying, Dave, which means. Yeah. Don't get caught. Made up.